How long does it take to get your first sale? You've started your business, you're out there. How long are you going to have to wait until the customers are coming? How long does it take? How much effort have you got to put in? Where do those first sales come from? Every industry, every product, every service has a slightly different sales cycle. And in this episode, we meet Patrick, who talks us through his journey to his first sale, the sales cycle, and how you build trust to get those first customers. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. So back on the show today, we have Patrick Venn. You may have listened to his episode in season one, which was all about sales. Patrick, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Alan. I'm rarely invited back, whether it's dinner parties or podcasts. So this is special for me. Thanks. (laughs) That was basically what they told me when you were a public speaker was the sign of a successful event was you get invited back. Nothing else really matters. Like even if they don't cheer at the end, that doesn't matter. What matters is you get invited back because if you can get invited back, you've added value. You've done something right. So um, at least I thought you did a good job in the first season. Awesome. Sweet. Glad to be back. (laughs) Now, this episode is going to be sort of in two parts. One is going to be about Patrick's experience. Patrick left an incredibly large organization, Manchester United, where he worked in sponsorship and sales and started his own business. And it's going to be about Patrick's journey on that starting his own business. And then that's going to sort of transition into what you've learned about sales, because it is different when you're not selling with a brand behind you. I used to work for a major electronics retailer, Panasonic. And when you have that brand and you ring up and say, hello, I'm from Panasonic, people go, oh, Panasonic's calling me. Why are they calling me? What have you got? Whereas if you just ring up and say, hello, I'm Alan. People are like, who the hell are you? Why are you calling me, Alan? What do you have? It's quite interesting how it changes. I've been experiencing a lot of the latter lately, so we'll dive into that, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. Who are you, Patrick, and why are you ringing me? Yeah, it's very interesting when it happens. Um, So the second part of the podcast is going to be about what Patrick's learned in sales, what has been his experience selling outside. So this episode, I think, well, my hope is this episode will give you some sales tools, tactics, and tips, plus some interesting stories about the journey to entrepreneurship. So Patrick, like I guess first step, what inspired you to quit your job and start your own business? Like that's a big step. It's a very big step, especially like you said, working for a company like Manchester United, you were kind of the envy at dinner parties or you'd, you'd go to a party and people say, oh, who do you work for? You get to say Manchester United and people would go, oh, wow, that must be the dream job. But like all jobs, there are downsides and negative sides. But there were kind of two stories that really made me make that leap and that transition, a personal one and a professional one. So let's start with the personal one first. I was going through my own personal finance journey four or five years ago, absolutely terrible with money. I went to a one of my best friend's weddings, actually, with my new girlfriend at the time. And it was a few days away from payday. I didn't have enough money in the bank. And she said, let's just stop and get them a cash gift. I was like, oof, don't have money in the bank for that, I was thinking. She said, don't worry, grab it from your savings. And 
then replace it in a few days when you get paid. My response was, what, what savings? savings? <laughs> what do you mean savings? <laughs> her eyes bugged out of her head. Her jaw hit the floor like a cartoon. And she was shocked at my financial situation. However, Uh-oh. she loaned me the money. I paid her back in a few weeks. And remains the most embarrassing day of my life to this day. But it was the catalyst that forced me to educate myself about money and turn my kind of life around. So that was the personal transformation I was going through. And then at the same time, as I was leaving Manchester United, looking for a sort of a different gig, something fresh, something Something new, I was offered a job by one of the top football agents in the country to get the players brand deals, boot deals, chocolate bar deals, things like that. And through a text message, believe it or not, I was able to discover that he was stealing millions behind the players' backs in terms of endorsement money, which was sad, but also not surprising in the world of football. So with those two things happening simultaneously, my own personal finance journey, educating myself and realizing young players kind of getting screwed over, I thought maybe there's a way that I could actually help them. So that was the first step to launching the Football Finance Academy. And we basically worked with, we have been working for the last 12, 18 months with football clubs, helping their academy players make better financial decisions before they hit that big payday in sport. So you've got these young players that get into football they start to earn some money, they start to go somewhere and then, but like who's taught them? And I think this is in general in life, who teaches you how to manage your money, who teaches you this stuff. But it's interesting you had those experiences to do it specifically for footballers. I guess it's a bit, you know, the story of the lottery winners, they win the lottery and then what do 70% of them do? Uh, They have nothing left within a year, they blow it all. And I guess if you're a football player and you've never learn how to manage the money. It's a bit like winning the lottery, the rate at which money comes at you. And the worst part about it for that specific group of individuals, the reason I wanted to work with them is because they're very vulnerable. Us as individuals don't really have the, well, I shouldn't say that, but usually we don't earn the salary of 300,000 pounds a week. Whereas these players, <laughs> have, these players have the possibility to. And so it attracts the wrong type of people around them, giving them the wrong information because they can personally make money off of that. So their ignorance is money to other people, whether that be agents, advisors, lawyers, or whatnot. So that was the idea to help them because the ones that do make it big really don't have a lot of good education from the beginning. Yes, definitely. And I'd have to say I've never quite got to the stage where I can make 300 grand in a week. I've not quite crossed that line in a year yet, Patrick. And kicking a ball around a football pitch for that uh, doesn't, doesn't seem too bad a gig to me. Well, they've got some skills, let's be honest. If I went on the football pitch, they would be running circles around me. Whereas if they came on the business pitch, we would be running circles around them. And I think that is the interesting bit. We all have our own specialities, our own skills in different areas. And if you specialize in those areas, it's incredible where you can go. So you've, that was the idea to help these players. You set up the football academy, the financial football academy, and you got out there. What happened? I got a lot of no's very quickly. (laughs) So you made a lot of phone calls. I made a lot of phone calls and also wrote a lot of emails. I was looking to connect with the heads of academies at football clubs. And although I had experience at Manchester United, it was on the sports sponsorship side. It had nothing to do with the football player or academy side. So I really didn't have any sort of connections. So it was a lot of cold calling, a lot of cold emails, a lot of no's. And I understood 
for kind of good reason, because there'd been so many financial advisors trying to pitch to come in to mm. speak to these kids who were ultimately had a really big potential of being high earners. So there was initial pushback from anyone who wasn't a trusted sort of reputation within that sphere because there'd been so many bad experiences. I remember I met with one football club and they said to me that they had a financial advisor, wealth management company come in, very professional. All, everything was all crystal clear. They had nice uh, branded pens and pads of paper on the chairs for all the players when they came in and <laughs> sat down. And the players in these academies really do what they're told a lot of the time. So they were told to, to fill out your name, fill out your information, your phone number, your email address. And ultimately, for three we, three months after that, the wealth management company just harassed the under 18, under 23 players every day trying to win their business. So they actually had to forcefully kick the independent financial advisors off the premises of two football clubs that I know of because they're big fish. They have huge potential to earn and they're not that well educated financially. So they're big, big fish. So yeah, there was a lot of initial pushback and a lot of no's and a lot of rejection. Which basically what's happening there is trust. And that's like one of my fundamental learnings over the years is that the base of sales is trust. If there's no trust, there's no sales. And actually, it's not that they didn't trust you, it's they didn't trust anyone. And I think this is really interesting because if you've got previous people who've tried to sell and they've broken that trust contract and people don't trust, that lack of trust created by other people rubs off on you, even if you haven't done anything. It's really interesting. And we've definitely encroached that in what we're doing when we tell people you can start a business with no money we sound like one of those like special things do you know what i mean like come start a business with no money we'll give you a free three-day course and then we'll upsell you to a 20 grand coaching package at the end and people come very skeptical like not sure about this alan what is this what do you mean free don't like the word free sounds a bit weird yeah so it's trust so like have you been able to establish trust with any of the clubs what do you think has helped you gain trust like do you think of it in those terms yeah absolutely i do now you're spot on with the development of trust changed everything for me literally kind of quite quickly so i had a lot of no's a lot of rejections for the reasons we just discussed but by emailing every single club in the top four divisions so the premier league the championship league one and league two in the UK, there's four levels of the football pyramid that are professional. And so there are 96 total clubs. So I knew I had 96 prospects that they're all there. I knew who to go after. <laughs> and I think three gave me the opportunity. Most of them didn't respond. The ones who did usually said no. And finally I found the three that were not satisfied with the financial education that the kids were getting. So I found what I think in business terms, you would call your early adopters, those yes. people who had a pain point that I was going to be able to solve. And the way I sort of pitched myself or sold myself, if you will, to those initial three people that were having an issue is they said, we've had a couple banks in, we've had a couple financial advisors in, these kids are 18 to 20 years old, and they do not want to be in a classroom at all. They want to be on a field kicking a football. Yeah. Can you do anything different? And I said, <laughs> yes. You know, I'm a fresh, young, new approach to personal finance that we get out of the spreadsheet and we talk about some main things that can make their lives better and their futures better, regardless of how far they go in football. 
And that last bit was really the element because I wasn't looking to profit off of the kids' success. I was looking to give them good financial habits that stick with them for life because 99% of these kids will never turn professional. And that bought a little bit of trust from those first three, and they decided to give me a shot. So that was the initial starting of building trust in that environment. And I even did one or two of those first workshops for free. Yes. So I was able to actually enter into their world, whether it was virtually on Zoom or actually at the football club, and prove my value, show my worth. And that was the initial stages. That was the first few sales that I was able to acquire. But it was a long, slow road because of so many initial no's. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? There's so much to pick up on there. I feel like I had a similar experience trying to do presentation skills workshops and different workshops. Like, just give me a chance. Just give me 20 minutes. I'll I'll do a presentation. I'll show you what I've got. I know it'll blow your mind. Just give me a chance. And getting that opportunity just to show, look, I've got value. I can help. It's incredible how hard you have to work to get that opportunity. And if you find the person that connects with you, that's just willing to give you a shot that's sometimes all the door opening you need just to sneak in and have a go and build trust, build acceptance. And I'll tell you what did happen, which is quite remarkable, because we talked about the lack of trust and how it can be hard to sort of get your first sales. I want to take it the other direction and show you the power of trust. So one of those Mm. first few football clubs I worked with um, the other thing that I did, I should, I should make a note that I connected with all heads of academies at 96 football clubs on LinkedIn. I tried to put them wow. all in my network. Now I didn't get them all accepting the invitation. Some are still probably sitting there in their inbox, but I did get a large portion of them to accept my invitation. So now I am part of their business network. And one thing that happened was I went to Derby County football club, Derby FC, Not the biggest club in England, but also certainly not the lowest, a a pretty big name uh, if you know football. And I went in and I did my four workshops with them over the course of four weeks. And their head of education, Simon, posted on LinkedIn, Patrick Venn, Football Finance Academy, brilliant workshop that the boys loved and engaged with and wrote a very quick one, two or three sentence with me up there in front of the kids. And that was a huge help. From that alone, I got two or three other clubs emailing me. Instead of me pushing the other way, it was now coming back because I had endorsement from someone they trusted. And that really made a huge difference to my reputation, but also just sales in general. A A few came in just simply off the back of one other colleague from another club saying, this was good. That's huge. That is huge. So like, I think it's really interesting the amount of effort and time and energy you have to put in to get the first door open to then get that little crack to get in there and open it wider. I think two pieces. One is you had a really niche market. Like I talk so much about finding a small market. You had 96 customers to go for. That's very niche. That gives you target. That gives you space. Realistically, how much energy and effort in terms of sales did you put in to open those first doors? Like, how was this journey? Because I think sometimes people think, oh, this sounds easy. Like, I've got my 96 targets. I'll ring them in an afternoon. I'll find my three and then I'll get going. Like, let's get real with everyone now. What was that journey like, Patrick? 
it was longer than even I had anticipated, and I thought it would be long. <laughs> so I'm trying to get a, some some more refined dates to answer, but I think that was a roughly a nine month journey from the initial idea to my first email sending out to actually the first club giving me a shot. Now, with a bit of context, COVID did throw a spanner in the works because most of the time they invite you into the club, you do a presentation in front of the kids, and you go on your merry way. So not having people at the club presenting, the football clubs are not that sophisticated when it comes to uh, innovation or, or moving quickly or thinking quickly. So that did take a bit of time to sort of filter and sift, but eventually they got on board with the Zoom conferences and the Zoom meetings and the Zoom presentations. But I would say it was almost, yeah, almost a nine month journey from that very first email to going in and presenting with one of the football clubs. And COVID was one thing, but I mean, there was other things like scheduling issues and uh, it's not a great time for us right now. You become, that was one thing I became very aware of when I left Man United to do things on my own. You are the bottom of people's priority list sometimes, unfortunately. <laughs> and so that is why it took sort of kind of a long time to get me going and get me up to speed. And after that, the first year was, this is the first season we did it. And we did uh, sessions with nine professional football clubs, including Man United, Aston Villa, and Brighton, three Premier League football clubs. So it's been exciting, but it, yeah, no shortage. Nine to 12 months, I would say, to get that first quote-unquote sale. So yeah, it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying everyone's sales journey will be that long. I truly did pick a very difficult market at a difficult time. I don't want to put people off and, and say that you'll get your first sale in 12 months. That's not true. But there are more hurdles, I think, than people anticipate. Well, I think this brings us on to an interesting point that we've never spoken about on this podcast, which is called the sales cycle. And the sales cycle is different depending on your product, your service. And what we mean by sales cycle is the time it takes from initial contact to delivery. That's kind of the cycle you go through. And then you come back around and recycle. Uh, hopefully, if they like you, they invite you back and you go back around the circle. But in, if you're selling, let's say that you're selling cupcakes, like a cupcake, you go to someone, you say, would you like a cupcake? They say yes or no. They buy it. The sales cycle is instant. If you're selling a pop-up business school, a rebel business school, that we need three months to promote the event. The event is two weeks long. We've had up to one to two years sales cycle from first contact to running the event. Like it's crazy. And there's everywhere in between. Even in my world in sports sponsorship, I mean, we were asking companies to spend two, three, four, five million pounds per year to be our corporate sponsor. So the, the sales cycle was anywhere from 18 to 36 months. But I know a couple of my colleagues had leads in their pipeline for five years. So that is the opposite end, I think, of the cupcake. This is the absolute opposite <laughs> end of the cupcake. And what I'd actually love the audience to do right now is just reflect on how long do you think your sales cycle is? Like if you've been doing this, how long do you think your sales cycle is from the first time you contact someone, from the first time they see your advert to taking action, getting an order and growing it? And we've had a whole host of businesses on the podcast from craft box clubs in the UK to photography businesses to food businesses. Every single one will have a different 
sales cycle because of when people are buying, what they're doing. And then it's about knowing, okay, so my sales cycle is probably this long. Can I keep the confidence, energy, (laughs) effort going to get to that first one? Yeah. And it's so funny because sales is a big word and people think that sales is sales. You know, you sell a a sponsorship, you can sell a cupcake, you can sell a a car, you can sell a, a online course. When you get into it, they are very, very different sales approaches. You're selling to very, very different people. Yes, it's sales. That's the thing that connects them all. But yeah, they are vastly, vastly different. <laughs> and I, I, I learned that uh, over those, those nine to 12 months pretty darn quickly. So what have been some of your biggest learnings on this journey, Patrick? What, have, what has actually struck you? What has hit you? Because you've gone from... A, a corporate sales machine with backing brands, all of that stuff, and they can afford to play the long game a year, two years, three years to get those big clients because they've built those resources and they can do it. It's very different when you're starting your own business. Maybe you've got savings to last six months when you start your business. Maybe you've not actually got that money savings and you've got to get out there and earn the money. Well, hopefully after that first instance, you did have a bit of savings when you started your own business. But what have you learned? Because it's a different game. Yeah. The biggest thing that I learned was don't try to convert the unconvertibles. I think when I was working in Manchester United and anyone out there who's ever had sort of a sales job or even been in meetings will, will totally resonate with this. Every two weeks at Manchester United, we had a sales pipeline meeting. And this mm-hmm. was a meeting where everyone sometimes sat in a circle, sometimes it was one-on-one, and you would go through the list of companies that you had in your pipeline. You wanted the most companies you could have in your pipeline because it looked like you were doing a great job. Look how many leads I have. Look how many conversations are going. So you held on to leads that you knew were 99% dead. Yep. And I held on to those thinking, yeah, but there might be this miraculous turnaround, even though they've said they're not ready for something yet. And I, I could do it. I could, I could sell them. And I would almost present this to my company, trying to show them my value as a salesperson through my pipeline. Once I got on my own, I was able to be a lot more honest with myself. There was no <laughs> sales pipeline meeting. There was no boss. It was me. And the more time I spent on those you know, 1% chance of converting this sale, I was wasting a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to convert the unconvertibles. So I think one of the biggest learnings was to find those initial three clubs that I did. Like, don't waste your time and energy trying to solve problems for people that it just doesn't exist for them. Find the early adopters where they have a problem and put all your energy and effort and attention into them. That was kind of the biggest one that I that I felt quite quickly. I love that because I think, well, I've had a very similar experience when I started. I was like, everyone should buy my stuff. They should all buy it. And I got very excited, very passionate. And people would go, no, I just don't have that issue, Alan. I'm like, no, you do. And I'd spend my time trying to persuade them, give energy. It was very painful for me. I'm sure they didn't like it either. And I gave everything, but I would have been better off going larger, wider, and faster, and finding the two or three people who go, oh, yeah, that resonates. I've heard that problem. I've got that problem. I think about it, and then focusing in. But I think sometimes when we launch our business, 
we're scared of getting to quick no's because then we go, well, okay, I've had a bunch of no's. I don't know if my business works. Whereas actually, if you can get through a bunch of quick no's, you'll get to the quick yes a bit faster. It's a different mindset though, Patrick. It's a completely different mindset. So like having had that change, like how do you get to that realization that these unconvertibles, I just need them to get to them to say no quickly, or at least to say, I don't think we do that. How do you get to that mindset? How do you get that shift? I kind of had one experience that was a bit of a light bulb moment for me. So I don't know if for some people it's it's something they build over time, or but for me, it was quite quick. And I remember I had a designated day to do some business development with some football clubs. It was it was for me to go over my list, email them for the third time, check in with people who may have responded. It was a sort of a designated time. And I remember looking and I spent an entire morning reaching out to people that I was pretty darn sure would never email me back. And I thought, what am I doing? Like what <laughs> I've just spent, it was actually almost a day. It was almost a full day that I spent trying to biz dev or sell or approach or even just talk to someone who didn't really want to talk back to me, <laughs> you know? So I think that for me, I don't know what it is for other people, but for me, it really was a light bulb moment of, I, I needed to do so many things starting a new business that spending an entire day wasting time and energy going after people who I knew ultimately would say no was just not a, I wasn't going to be able to get my business off the ground if I was wasting time doing things that didn't matter. And it felt good to be busy the first few weeks, you know, oh, I'm busy, I'm emailing all these people and you feel really productive and you feel proud of yourself at the end of the day. But like, if you're really honest with yourself, and, and I was in that moment, I was like, there's a day gone, and I've done nothing of sort of value or purpose. Here's an example, I could have spent, you know, 2030 minutes shooting a personal video on my phone to the one or three people who actually emailed me back, and spending a lot more time on a creative approach or creative, you know, developing a conversation with someone who actually wanted to have one. So I think that was, it, it's something maybe trained over time, but for me, it was definitely a light bulb moment. I love that. And it, I, the only way you have these moments is by actually doing the stuff. So if you're listening to this now going, oh, that's interesting, that's a thought. Like if you want to experience it, do the work, <laughs> send the emails, make the phone calls, get online. You will have the experiences Patrick and I are talking about. And actually, like a lot of sales is learning by getting in the trenches, by making it happen, by making the phone calls, by doing the things. That's how you get the experiences that create the salesperson, create the salesperson in you. And I've picked up so many little things along those vast amount of no's, right? <laughs> you can learn priceless feedback. Like, okay, why didn't you say no? Mm. Oh, it was because of X, Y, or Z okay, maybe that's just one person's opinion. But if you hear that several times over and over, it keeps coming up. Ooh, is this something I should address? Is this something I should look at? Is this something I should change? And also the no's, the amount of no's, you genuinely build up a resiliency to it. 
it's like getting in sort of the boxing ring. I used to, I, I box like amateurly. I'm, I'm pretty terrible. I'm zero and one in my career record, but getting in the <laughs> ring is, is a terrifying process. And you realize, what if I get hit in the face? And then you do get hit in the face and you realize you have a mouth guard and it's safe and it's not the end of the world. And you sort of get better and, and you understand it's part of it and, and you're not made of glass. And that's how I started to feel about the selling process is yes, I'm getting no's, but I built up a bit of a resiliency to it. And I wasn't ignoring them fully. I was trying to learn from the nose as much as I possibly could to make what I was doing better. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I was looking for the, even if it wasn't a yes, I was looking for signposts that I was heading in the right direction. So I wasn't getting cash in the bank from these people because I didn't sell to them because they didn't ultimately select my product. But did it intrigue them? Did like what? Oh, yeah. You know what? I'm dealing with my own sort of issues around personal finance. Any nugget that I could see that I was on the right direction, on the right path to where I wanted to go. So don't it's it's sometimes black or white. I got a yes or I got a no. But there's a whole lot of goodness in between. And if you can look to extract the value out of that, you'll, you'll just become better and better and better over time. I love that. So we're going to come back to the learning bit in a second. Just first off. Are you suggesting that getting a no is like being punched in the face and we should send the audience out there into the world to get punched in the face repeatedly to harden themselves? Is that the message we've just heard? I didn't think it was, but now hearing it back, it may have been the message that I accident- <laughs> accidentally sent out. Uh... Well, actually, I think it's it's not as bad as people think because like, a no is a little bit like a slap in the face if you're the one who created the product or the service. Yes. and Actually, through the coaching series, we've been through this. The coaching series, season one was with Christina, who was out there trying to sell her services to photograph your drinks, products, your space, your restaurant. And she got a lot of rejection. And that felt not very nice. And season two is Jamie, an artist. She got a huge amount of rejection. And because she was an artist, she's like, this is my stuff. I painted this. And everyone felt like a, a slap in the face. And it's interesting. I think there becomes a point where not everyone is going to love what you do. And that's the richness and variety of life. It's also getting used to that stuff. And like people saying no to you, there's no actual real consequences. Like if someone rejects you, what actually changes? What happens? Will you just go home for dinner with your partner, friend, you go for a drink, I don't know, whatever it is, but nothing actually changes. But it can be some it can be some highs and lows in there, Patrick. Like, how have you dealt? Have you experienced the highs and lows? How have you dealt with it? Like <laughs> what's happened? I have experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, uh, both the peaks and the valleys. And I'm not sure that I've found the secret sauce or the secret recipe to deal with that perfectly yet. But I always was looking for it's it serendipitously happened that I was putting the effort in to really try and once I sort of got rid of the people I was never going to convert, started focusing more attention on on the prospects who were actually engaging with me, I found I was having sort of I don't know better, more meaningful conversations. I was solving pro- like it was energizing me as opposed to depleting me. So when if I got rid of those people that were no's and I I sent that email, that fifth chaser email that I never am never going to get a response to this, I would call that like an energy depleting exercise. So when I did that for a full day, I noticed at the end of the day, I felt 
terrible, really just bad because I think in the back of my head, I knew that there was nothing positive coming back. Whereas the more I focused on the ones, the, 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 the few who even showed interest in me, I got such energy from talking to them or emailing them. And I think that's what helped me keep going, even when I had those sort of dips or those low moments. I'm even experiencing them now. I've got off a couple sales calls recently that didn't go perfectly well. But then uh, later in the week, I got a, a letter in my inbox that, you know, you've got another one scheduled. You've got another chance coming up next week. Someone else is interested. And that's an energy sort of rejuvenation. So I think they're always going to be there, those highs and lows. But I think, yeah, just keeping myself moving forward, however slowly, something always good sort of seemed to come up on the horizon. Maybe it was the next day, the next week or the next few weeks ahead, but it always seemed with every every loss, as long as you keep your feet moving, more opportunities were going to come. And I did always feel that I was one sales call away from like a sale. You're always one conversation away from that next client. And that next client could be your dream one that unlocks unbelievable potential. So I think, yeah, just keeping my feet moving and keeping those positive energizing conversations was was super, super helpful. And then also, I guess the second thing very quickly was just having something outside of the business you're working on. Yes, it's your baby. Yes, it needs a lot of attention and it needs a lot of focus, <laughs> especially in the early days. But to be able to unplug, check out, I play football once or twice a week on Thursday nights. Like, I don't think about the business. I don't think about my partnership. I don't think about bills. I don't think about my future. I'm perfectly in the moment for those 60 minutes on the football pitch and those People can feel guilty taking time away from a business they're just starting. And I'm not saying go on holiday for four weeks, but do have outlets that you can go to that are outside of your business and you can come back feeling fully energized to tackle the world. Yes. Otherwise, you start to go stir crazy because you spent all of your time focused. I would have never done that in the early days. You need those outlets, definitely. And I, I'd just like to say, Patrick, I started my first business this time round in 08. So I'm 13 years in. The highs and lows have not gone away. Like, <laughs> this is part of life. And I think like it's going to happen to all of us. There are highs of getting the big sale and then you do it. And maybe there's lows of a complaints or lows of something. And then you've got to like fix it. There's highs of fixing it and getting them to rebook. And then there's lows of this. And but that is a continual process. And the thing that I've learned is to experience both. Because if you don't experience the lows, it's hard to experience the highs. And this is a hard thing to practice, but it's sitting in the awkward, uncomfortable moments. And I've been doing a project working on getting a TV show out there. We spent a long time on one particular place trying to sell it and we got rejected. And I tell you what, that was awkward. That was uncomfortable. I put a lot of time and energy into it and... I gave myself a couple of hours to feel it. You don't want to sit in it for too long. This is where it gets bad. You don't want to sit in it for too long because it'll destroy you. But I gave myself a couple of hours to go, okay, you need to feel this because if you feel it, then when the success does come, because you'll always get there in the end. If you keep going, it's incredible. You will get there. You need to feel that low to then appreciate the high. And sometimes it can absolutely wipe you out for a few hours but that's okay. So if you're listening to this and you've had one of those moments where you've been wiped out by sales, where you've been wiped out by something that happens in your business, it's going to happen again. 
like this is part of life. Yeah, I think it's a lot like public speaking. People say, oh, when are the nerves going to go away? Well, no, they don't go away entirely. You just learn to manage them a little bit better. And I think that's the sort of lesson that's baked in there is the highs and lows don't go away. But can you make them not quite as high and not quite as low and keep moving forward quickly? No, I'm I'm into the big highs, Patrick. Why do I want to minimize the highs? <laughs> That's actually like, they're true. Incredible. Yeah, that that is true. That is true. Celebrating the wins. Yeah, absolutely. Well, actually, that's historically what I'm bad at. So I would go. Obviously, I did that, and then I would just keep going without ever actually realizing it could have been one of those highs. And I think if you took the public speaking analogy. You've done the presentation, you've given your heart, you've given everything. There's a round of applause at the end. And I would almost minimize it by going, oh, no, 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 it's okay. Thank you very much. Like, I'm just doing my job. Like, I'm happy. And I'd move on very quickly. Whereas in the later days, I was much more comfortable, just stood there. I still feel weird. I still feel weird because I just stand there and smile and say, thank you. And they're clapping. And I'm like, oh, this feels weird. But... Like, I need to feel that to be able to keep going through the lows that come later. So I actually think that taking time to sit in the highs, to experience it, to allow it to wash over you, to celebrate, to think back on it, that's going to be what keeps you going. And I don't care what it is. Like, coming back to the cake example, if you sell a cake, like, take time to watch the person enjoy that mouthful. There's your round of applause watch the expression on their faces they eat, then you know you've done a good job. That facial expression, that virtual round of applause that comes back at you for the cake that you've done, maybe even they're making the noises. Like "Mm, my wife is very expressive. She loves food. She makes the noises back. She says it's incredible. Like don't minimize those moments. Take them because that's the energy that keeps you going. Yeah, you're right. And for me, that was a couple of players sent me text messages through Instagram saying, how can I learn more about this? How can I do more about that? Uh, I thought that was sort of a really enjoyable moment to soak up. Yeah, take it and then go, okay, I'm on the right journey. I'm doing the right thing. Press in, go. Because <laughs> you were talking a moment ago about the signs. And I love this. It's the signs that you're going in the right direction. Because without sounding too woo-woo, the universe sends you signs. They're normally through people, through objects, through things, but it sends you signs if you're on the right journey. So if you put this energy out there, the signs are someone going, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. A good conversation, a good this. What kind of signs did you have, Patrick, that kept you going for nine months? I think some of the signs were obviously the face-to-face meetings I did with clubs. So the first, like, they're taking my meeting. Okay, great. I met with a handful of clubs face-to-face. I always did that at Manchester United, the human connection face-to-face. It's it's a lot stronger. So that was a good sign that even though there were a lot of no's through email, there were a handful of clubs that were willing to meet me face-to-face. Great. Check. That is one sign. And then after a couple meetings, you know, them actually sending an email to the central governing body saying, we'd like to get this service. They send me an email, Pat, we've sent an email to the league organizers that we'd love to have you in. Okay, that's another signal that they're not happy with what Mm -hmm. they're currently getting. They're actually doing something to say they want something different. So again, it was another little bit of encouragement. The other signs as well is actually when we were able to deliver our first workshops, 
we made sure that we gave a feedback survey to the players and the educators to see where we were scoring and how we were performing, where we were performing well, but also what we can improve going forward for the players next season. And that was a really positive experience. So that gave me another bit of feedback and another sign that, okay, we didn't reach all 96, but the eight to 10 that we did reach, we had a really big impact on them and they gave us a very high rating that they, we come back again. So again, that's another sign that things are, are kind of going in the right direction. And then I guess the ultimate sign, just if I keep going linear on progression like that, is just getting in conversations with the Premier League and, and things like that now that we've developed a bit of a reputation. So they all kind of built upon one another to get you to a place of, yeah, it's a decent idea. I'm on the right track here. Excellent. And one thing I'd like to say, so in your first year, how many clubs did you end up working with? Eight clubs. Eight clubs. Yeah. And zero for the first nine months. Yes. So I think what I want to say to people is it's not linear. You don't make one call and get one client and then make two calls and get two clients. It's not linear. What I mean by that is you don't get this progression from A to B to C to D to E. It's what we would call exponential. And exponential is nothing happens for ages. Like literally nothing happens for ages. It's the same with investing. It's the same with anything. You start saving your money. Nothing happens for months, maybe years. And then all of a sudden the results come at the end. And you've kind of experienced this. You had nine months of like knocking your head against a brick wall to get that first client. Then you got one. Then you had the LinkedIn thing and then a few more. And then like, oh, you've got eight clubs in the first year, that sounds amazing. But what people don't realize is eight clubs in the first year, that's not get one in month two, two in month three, three in this. It's not linear. It's not a progression up like that. Nothing happens for months, months. And I'm an absolute glutton for punishment, Alan. So I've now (laughs) in this year, starting in sort of uh, February time, February, March, I started to approach, um, corporations to work with, not just football clubs. And so now I'm starting that process almost all over again. A little bit of kudos that I have from working with the football clubs, but what we're doing with companies is slightly different. So now I'm starting literally all over again from the bottom and I'm experiencing that exact same thing that I did with the football clubs. I go to companies and corporations and say, hey, you know, this is me. This is what I do. And they say, who are you? What do you want? (laughs) And it was the exact same feeling I got initially with the football clubs, but I'm learning and I'm seeing the right signs. So I'm very, very optimistic that it's only a matter of time before we get that first yes that goes into three, that goes into nine. But I'm now prepared for a little bit of uncomfortable journey for the next sort of couple months as we work through the process all over again. So you're absolutely right that there's nothing beautifully linear and correlated between 10 calls makes five sales makes X dollars. It's not a formula like that. You can kind of average it out over the year and go, I've spent X amount of time. But if you look at it in a different way, like nothing happens for so long. I mean, in nine months, you've got nine months of hard work, zero calls and zero sales. But then if you stretch it over a year, you've got (laughs) eight sales, some profit and a year's work. And then suddenly you go, okay, that year was worth it. But when you're nine months in, you're going, this year is not worth it. Why am I doing this? What the hell is happening? Come on. 
Yeah, I wish we had this call at month eight. That would have been really helpful for me. Uh, while I was... <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because there is a piece about keeping the faith. And it sounds really weird. I'm going to sound like a religious cult leader now, but it's keeping the faith that you're doing the right things because people have trod before you. We know if you do these behaviors, if you do these actions, something is going to happen if you keep doing the right behaviors, if you keep going out there and it's keeping the faith that it will happen. Like in the personal finance world, if you start investing small and you take 50 pounds a month, you take 100 pounds a month and you start investing it, you start putting it, you put it away, then you have to have the faith that compounding will happen. You will not see it happen for years. You have to have the faith. And that's really interesting because quite often people get a year in, they get two years in and they go, nothing's happening. I'm going to take this money out and spend it on a car because that'll make me happy instantly. And then you've destroyed all the progress. And you'd almost do need someone to look at what you're doing and go, okay, Patrick, you're eight months in, you've made the calls, almost like a pipeline review, but not. It's more of a, tell me about your actions. Tell me about the responses you've got. What signs are you seeing? Like you're doing the right stuff, Patrick. Have faith, keep going. You need someone to do that for you. And uh, tell you what, I would have loved someone to do that for me. In the early days, I would have loved that. They're just like, Alan, have the faith. You're doing the right things. Like, stop bugging out. <laughs> stop bugging out every now and again and crashing. Like, I'd have days where I'd crash, Patrick, and then I'd watch a Marvel movie and not do anything for two days. Because yeah. I just, like, what am I doing in life? Why am I here? Like, I've put nine months of my life into this thing and nothing's happening. I just needed someone to say, keep going. And the cool part of like that keep going is not only does like your analogy with the investing is, is the money compounds and, and grows, you really do see yourself as a person growing, right? Whether it's the sales you're working on, whether it's the product you're building, like whether it's, you know, you're becoming a better communicator because you're having to sell for the first time ever. Like all of these skills, again, in the moment, when you look at yourself, you don't see a massive shift, but you start stretching that timeline out of a year two years, three years. And the same thing happens with your skills and your, yeah, your upskilling. It does compound on each other. Yeah. And I always say to the team about a tidal wave of sales, <laughs> we keep doing the right stuff. We keep putting the energy out there and that wave of sales will come in. But if you give up and you stop doing the sales, like if we do the sales every day, then the sales will come. If we stop doing the sales, the sales stop happening, but you have to have that faith that it will come. One last thing very quickly is I love the guys who have the over at Dynamite Jobs, they help people find remote work and they have this thousand day principle that it actually roughly on average, it changes with people's businesses, yes, but roughly on average for the thousands of entrepreneurs in their community, it takes around a thousand days to actually replace the income that you had from maybe your more stable job when you go into it in entrepreneurship. It doesn't have to be that way. Like you said, we can get going quickly. We can sell. We can sort of get there much quicker than three years. But I think the point I'm trying to make with that is the journey is longer, I think, than people maybe anticipate. It's not quite overnight. It's never overnight. Every overnight success was built over a decade. It's unbelievable like what it takes However, you can make money in year one. You can start selling in year Absolutely. one. You can make progress. It's probably just not going to be the millions in year one. Yeah. It's probably going to be a journey, especially if you've never been an entrepreneur before. 
there's going to be some learning, which is actually sometimes the power of the side hustle is you can do the learning alongside the job. You can do the mini experiments alongside the job. You can get the learning. And then once you've done some of that learning, when you do go full time, you go, okay, I'm a little bit more prepped, ready. I've learned how to deal with rejection. I've learned some sales techniques. I've learned some marketing techniques. Then you dive in. I think the power of the side hustle is absolutely that it's learning those you've already you've got an income I'm going to learn whilst I've got that then I'll dive in at the point that I can actually make a success of it and make it a bit bigger absolutely cool so one of the things I'd love to do like do you have a practical sales tip a practical tactic and approach that we can give people to take away from this episode and have a go with like what have you been testing that's actually worked Patrick So one thing that I've been, that's the freedom of doing it on your own versus a big corporation. You can test all these little tools, strategies, some work in your favor, some don't, but you can move on quickly. And the one that I've been obsessed with lately that has been showing some pretty good traction, and I'll break it down for people, but it's actually sending video introductions via LinkedIn. And bear with me while I kind of unpack that and show you why it's kind of been quite remarkable and quite interesting. So I think in the first section or earlier on in the podcast, I mentioned connecting with all these heads of academies on LinkedIn. And so I've done the same thing with businesses that I'm approaching. I want to speak to the HR director or the chief people officer, something like that. So I've connected with a bunch of them on LinkedIn. Some accept your friend request, some don't. But the ones that do are now in your virtual network. And you have the ability to have a direct line of communication with your ideal customer. So what I've been doing is actually sending, just taking out my iPhone and just sort of recording a video of myself under two minutes, because LinkedIn doesn't allow you to send a video that's longer than two minutes. So keep it nice and short, keep it sweet, a nice introduction you know, about myself, uh, not too salesy. I'm not trying to push a product on them right away. I'm trying to introduce myself learn a bit more about their business, ask them what their struggling and challenges are. And yeah, just send the video, no text with it at all. And what happens is you get to send a video message directly to your ideal customer and there's no text associated with whatsoever. So when the video lands in their inbox, all it has is this big, gigantic play button <laughs> in the middle, and everyone wants to see what the heck this video is from a total Curious. stranger. The curiosity gets them. And the great thing is you can also see on the little right-hand corner if someone's actually seen it or watched it, like if they've actually read the message, if you will, or watched the video. So that has been really great. Again, tons of no responses, but guess what? tons of really great responses as well. And some of them have been like, that's awesome. I didn't even know you could send a video through LinkedIn. Another person said, that's the first video I've ever gone on LinkedIn. And they went on Google to see how to send one back to me. (laughs) Other people saying, I get hundreds of blank approaches through email, Slack, LinkedIn, all of this all day long. And yours cut through the noise. So that has been something that's really worked well is the under two minute video on LinkedIn to your ideal customer, no text. I love that because I get so many approaches on LinkedIn, Patrick, with, would you like to increase your sales of Red Belt Business School? And they're all text. Like I read them for two seconds and then go, 
this is not personalized. This is nothing to do with me. Spam right away. You know it. Yep. And I skip past them. And actually, I probably miss a bunch of people's messages on LinkedIn that are actually good messages because I get so many of those other messages. And I've never had a video on LinkedIn. No one's ever done that to me. No one's ever sent that. But I know when I get like a voice message or something like that, I'm more likely to go, oh, this is interesting. That's fascinating. So like, if you were to turn this into a challenge for the audience, what would your challenge be? So there could be a couple levels of the challenge. Let's try and keep it simple. The first challenge would be to actually go on LinkedIn and find your ideal customer. It's pretty easy to do. You just type, you know, the company you're looking for and the job title into Google and usually gives you a pretty good matches on who at LinkedIn you want to speak to. Add them to your network. Start with 10. Add 10 people, add 20, whatever you feel comfortable with. You can do that very, very quickly. So that would be kind of challenge number one is get some of your ideal customers in your virtual network. That would be a great idea because that has a double effect. When you post stuff on LinkedIn, suddenly they have the opportunity to see it as well. So that is an interesting way you can sort of be a, um, sort of talking to your customers in two ways. So that was my first challenge. Add people to your LinkedIn network. And the second challenge, send half of them a personalized video. Just two minutes, very quick. Introduce yourself. If you want to supercharge it, if you really want to get a great response, make it extra personal by commenting on something about their business in the news or something they posted on LinkedIn. It's really resonated with me when you said X, Y, and Z. And they'll know this is not spam. You actually engaged with their content. You learned about the business. Make it just that extra little bit personal. And uh, I can't make any guarantees, but it certainly worked really well for me recently. I love that. I love that. And as you know, on the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast, we are all about action, taking action. See if you can find people, send them some videos, see what happens. And we want to know what happens, like test this stuff and tell us. The only way you actually know what works in sales and marketing is by having a go, like literally starting, testing and trying. Patrick, that is a fantastic idea. I love it. Thank you for inspiring us. What's next for the Football Academy? And actually, it sounds like you've got a new company selling to corporates. Like, where are you actually heading? What's next for you? So very quickly, the Football Finance Academy is still going. Next season, we may work with some football clubs just because I really enjoy it and I really like doing it. But we're very much sort of pivoted and, and focused now creating the, the Academy of Financial Empowerment. So reinventing the way the companies tackle financial wellness at work. So right now we're working, trying to work with some of the best, biggest startups in London so we can help get their entire workforce financially fit. Interesting. Interesting. Financial fitness. We're going to get them down the financial gym, get them to work out, see if we can build some financial muscles. Yeah. Yeah, people need that, Patrick, especially at the moment. That's one of the biggest areas. I think you're going to have fun doing that. Yeah, it's been an exciting journey, and I'm looking forward to yeah, connecting with more companies and see if we can sort of change that narrative around personal finance here in the UK. I love that. So if people want to know more about what you're doing, where do they find you? Obviously, they can find you, Patrick Venn, on LinkedIn. They can search for you. Send uh, me a video. Where do people... I would love that. Send me a video. <laughs> love that. Excellent. So uh, Patrick and then V-E-N-N, find Patrick on LinkedIn, send him a video, connect. Exactly. Uh, where do people find out more about your two projects so they can see the two different things you're doing? Sure. Yeah. So the footballfinanceacademy.com is where we're doing stuff with the football clubs and then with the corporations and the businesses. 
It's www.aofe.co.uk. Think Academy of Financial Empowerment.co.uk. They can learn all about it there. Excellent. Patrick, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for your energy and effort. Go out there, knock them dead. I believe in you. You're doing the right stuff. It's going to happen in a big way for you. Couldn't have said it better. What an episode. Uh, Patrick, like what a journey he went on to get those first customers. There are three things I want to give you in the summary of today's episode, and those are build trust, have faith, and take action. Those are the three broad categories. For any sale to happen, you have to build trust. Your customers have to trust you, and you build trust by having a website that represents you by having customers that you've worked with, having testimonials, by speaking to the person and looking in their eyes and seeing them face to face, by doing the video calls and looking them in their eyes. That is how you build trust. And I'd love you to think about how you can build trust with people you haven't met yet, because that's going to be the basis of how you work towards getting your first sale. Which brings us on to the second part of this, which is have faith. Have faith. Growth and business growth is exponential. You will be putting out a lot of energy when you start to build your business. You will be giving it energy. You will be working on what you're doing. You will be making progress, but the results won't show immediately. It takes time and you have to have faith. It's a bit like planting a seed. Let's imagine you've got a little pot in your house, you've got some soil and you've got a seed and you put the seed under the soil and then you've watered it. Now, at that point, you have to water it every day and have faith that it is going to sprout. Even though you can't see anything happening, you're watering and a few days go by, you're watering and a week goes by, you're watering and time goes by. You have to have faith that it will happen. And then eventually, after a period of time, it starts to pop up, it starts to grow, you see the shoots and you make progress. But there is a period where you have to put energy out there, you have to take the action, you have to do the things before it happens. If you're in that phase, learn along the way, have faith and keep doing the right things. Which brings me on to number three, which is take action. And from this episode, I would love you to take action. Patrick had a challenge for you, which the easy version is to get on LinkedIn and find Patrick Venn and to send him a LinkedIn message. That's the easy version. The tough version, which I'd love you to go and do, is to find 10 people that you think might be your customer on LinkedIn and send them video messages. Just start. It's never going to be perfect the first time. Do it and let us know what happens. Because if you want to build your business, you have to take action. You have to take action. So there it is. Build trust. Have faith take action and get out there and build the business of your dreams. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.